you are listening to the next best picture podcast and this is our review of the king of staten island i like your tattoos what are those numbers on your arm oh that's uh the date my dad died he was a fireman died in a fire 17 years ago oh my god i'm so sorry don't be it's fine knock knock who's there not your dad You can't focus on Scott anymore, honey. He's 24 years old, Marjorie. Let that fucking bird fly, please. Don't worry, Mom. I know your daughter got smart and went to college and abandoned us. But I'm still here. I'm going to be here forever. Yeah. I want to become a real tattoo artist. Your work is mad and consistent. Obama ain't right. Oh, I love your tattoos. This is my favorite. (laughs) I've been dating someone for a little while now. The first guy you date in 17 years is a fireman just like that? You don't think that's weird? You're going to have to pull your weight a little more around here. Maybe help Ray get his kids to school. Kelly, do you know him? He's a new friend. You okay? You know, you could tell me. I'm okay. Oh, I trained her in the car. She's not going to break. You ever think about putting on the jacket? Why would you even ask me that? What's wrong with being a fireman? It's fine if you don't have kids, because you don't know if you're going to come home or not, and then your kids are fucked up. You make everyone around you feel crazy. People are normal, then they hang out with you, and then they're fucking Jack Nicholson in The Shining or something. I got to tell my mom you tried to drown me. To the above-ground pool, you're like fucking eight feet tall. Now, let me tell you something. Your dad was a hero. And heroes are necessary, and they should be allowed to have families. You gotta get your shit together. Time is passing by very quickly. Why do you think I smoke weed all the time? So I can slow it down. I just feel like everybody's always disappointed in me and I never live up to anybody's expectations. Hey, thanks for listening to all this. You're one of the few people who treat me, you know, like a person. You're welcome. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for The King of Staten Island, and the story is as follows. A semi-autobiographical comedy drama about Pete Davidson growing up in Staten Island, including losing his father during 9-11 and entering the world of stand-up comedy. The film is starring Pete Davidson, Marissa Tomei, Bill Burr, Belle Powley, Maude Apatow, and Steve Buscemi. It is written and directed by Judd Apatow, co-written by Pete Davidson, David Cyrus, and Michael Green. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Lauren LaMagna. What up, what up? Amanda Spears. Hello. Dan Bear. Not from Staten Island, but happy to be here. (laughs) And Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Okay, so another Universal film going straight to streaming uh, since they made uh, that commitment a couple of weeks ago with their theatrical releases. This movie was supposed to premiere at the South by Southwest Film Festival before the COVID-19 pandemic shut that down. And then it was also supposed to play at the uh, Tribeca Film Festival as well. Here we are now, another film from Judd Apatow, somebody who has given us a uh, pretty pretty solid list of um, comedies over the years, I would argue, actually. Um He's a, he's a filmmaker that uh, doesn't go for the straight up, uh, how do you say, um, schoolboy like humor, you know, sophomore humor. He he tends to add a little bit more into his films, I find, and also works with uh, talented cinematographers also. So he's got some clout, this Judd Apatow guy. I think his career is going to go far. Or should hmm. I be saying that about Pete Davidson? Uh, this is um, truly... His breakout role, I think, after uh, Big Time Adolescence earlier this year, uh, which, you know, not many people saw. So more people hopefully will check this one out here based very much off of his own life. Let's get into it here. This is the King of Staten Island, not the last King of Scotland, as I've been accidentally calling it over the last couple of weeks. (laughs) Why don't we start off first and foremost uh, with Lauren? Lauren, what did you think of the King of Staten Island? So I have a love-hate relationship with Judd Apatow. Some of his movies I love, and I can watch them every single day of my life. And then there are other films that I can't stand and would love to never visit again. It's very much a flip of the coin. And I thought that The King of Staten Island was okay. It wasn't amazing. It wasn't crazy. I'm pretty sure I might be the person with the, the least positive reaction to it. I honestly think at its core, if you don't relate to the protagonist, if you don't relate to Scott, it'll be a really, really difficult time for you to connect to this movie and like this movie. 
But it does have its strengths. It does have its casual Jedi Patel weaknesses. And I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, I, I definitely would agree that how one feels about either Judd Apatow or Pete Davidson will probably influence uh, how one thinks of The King of Staten Island. Because <laughs> if anything, the mo- you can't say the movie's not truthful to those two people and who they are. So yep. <laughs> what you see yep. is what you get. <laughs> and so let's hear uh, from Josh Parham. Josh Parham, what do you think of The King of Staten Island? Um, I... I don't think I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) It, It's a movie that I can understand has some qualities about it that would be good. And there are even moments where I actually did find myself getting invested in some of the character work that was going on. And I think that particularly shows up in like the last 30 to 40 minutes of the movie. Um, But like a lot of Judd Apatow films, it does feel overly long it feels like there are sequences that could be jettisoned completely and i think you're right lauren that a lot of this really does depend on how much you find yourself um creating any kind of emotional connection to a character played by pete davidson and your (laughs) mileage will vary greatly on that depending on the person and i just don't think i have that in my dna to look at pete davidson and like want to invest myself in any part of a story that he is involved in in a film. Um, so I, I don't think it's a terrible movie, but I found myself being very disinterested in most of it, I have to say. Uh, apart from Bill Burr. Uh, he was great, but everything else about the movie, I really wasn't that into, unfortunately. You gotta cut Marissa Tomei some slack, Josh. I mean, come on. Oh, mm. Well, I wish the screenplay was a little bit kinder to her, but sure. (laughs) Oh, okay. All right. Let's hear from Amanda. Amanda, what do you think? I'm so happy you guys didn't like it because I was afraid I was going to (laughs) come off with like this old brat who only comes on here because she doesn't like this movie. And yeah, I feel like you're, I feel like Judd Apatow is very hit or miss. It's either one or the other. There's usually not a lot of in between for me. And this is a very big miss. Like, I know it's partially based on Pete Davidson's life and, you know, they didn't have his father die in 9-11 like, like they did. But part of me is, like, this slacker kid who I've seen on SNL, but I feel like Lorne Michael would fire if it wasn't for all of his problems. Yeah, I it didn't work for me. I feel like Marissa Tomei didn't have anything to do. That poor woman deserves better. It had some nice moments, but it was it just really was felt long. And this is not a long movie. Yeah. I mean, in terms of uh, Judd Apatow films being long, that is definitely a common reoccurrence in his work for sure. Um, Bear, what about you? Oh, the last one, the holdout. <laughs> what do you think? Um, so I ha- I am completely apathetic to Judd Apatow as a filmmaker. You almost had a pun there, sir. Almost. I I know. Um, And to Pete Davidson as a, well, as anything, (laughs) I just like, I could, I could care less. Sometimes I like them, like their work. Sometimes I don't, I, they don't go out of my way to look at anything either of them does. Um, and I don't look at any with any particular reverence or disdain. Uh, and, and I went into this kind of like, uh, I was already like, <laughs> I was already on the side against the film going into it because I had to pay $20 to fucking rent this thing. And I wouldn't mm-hmm. even pay that much to see it in a movie theater because I had AMC A-list. So fuck you, Universal. But... <laughs> Okay, that's not fair. <laughs> Which is maybe not fair, but uh, whatever. Um, yeah, I would pay five dollars at the Keep Theater to see this, so I'm I'm with you in spirit. And the funny thing is, and this is like apropos nothing, but like I've talked to some people since I saw it that said if it were ten dollars, I would rent it. If it were twelve dollars, I would rent it, but not for nineteen ninety nine. So do with that what you will, but. And the, as the movie, as I watched the movie, I, was, I just couldn't help but notice everything that I hated about it. In that it is yet another story that, like, the there are two, maybe three 
uh, people of color in it, and they felt like really disgusting tokenism. And the women only exist in terms of the story to help the man on his journey. They don't have any character, real character or agency of their own. And it's yet another Judd Apatow film about a slacker trying to grow up. And just like, we've had enough of those stories. We know where this is going. Blah, blah, blah. And careful, that, that comment ended Catherine Heigl's career about the women just existing to serve the childish men. True. And it's funny because Knocked Up is the one is the one movie he's made that you can say like that's the least of that of that film's problems <laughs> compared to the other ones he's made since. It, it, and um the thing is that by the end of the movie, I kind of liked it. <laughs> What? Dude, I'm getting whiplash over here. Wait, you just like took a hard left turn. What? I know. I I don't know what happened, but like something happened like as I was watching it and as it as it brought in more characters into Scott's orbit and all of those actors were so good, I liked it more and by the end I even like appreciated some of, I thought some of the filmmaking was just at a higher level than I'm used to seeing from Judd Apatow in his movies. And I ended it being like, I, I kind of, it, this, this movie is so emblematic of so many problems in Hollywood, but I, I kind of liked it. Like I was entertained by it. I definitely didn't hate it. it it's kind of like, it's probably like in the middle of the pack of movies that I've seen this year, but like, yeah, I, I was, I was very surprised by my own reaction to this movie. All right. Here comes my long winded, uh, reply to almost all of you, Dan. Uh, so yeah. thank you for not making this a Matt Neglia versus everybody podcast here. So Judd Apatow with this movie, I believe personally has made what I think is actually his most mature movie yet. I understand that there is a lot of um, slacker sophomore humor in there still to establish the Scott character as being somebody whose life is currently stuck by his own doing. And he is actively or rather the story is actively trying to push him towards the end where he will change. And like you said, Dan, we've seen this story a bunch of times before. This is nothing new necessarily. And I mentioned before about how, like, depending on how you feel about Pete Davidson, it will probably color your thoughts about the King of Staten Island. And that's because it truthfully is like a retelling of his life. Uh, The bipolar disorder, the father dying, uh, who was a fireman, the um, the 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 the, just the, 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 you know, the like him. He's playing himself ultimately. Right. Did he have bipolar in the movie? I'm sorry. I, they I, didn't. They never mention what the mental illness is, but we do know that Scott has a mental illness. Right. Okay. He's on antidepressants. Yeah. He does ADHD mm. or ADD uh, okay. a couple times, but it's implied that there's also more than that. Okay. And the way that Pete Davidson plays some more of those dramatic scenes, I think really does hint towards um, him leaning into just a higher degree of acting like like his performance in this for me personally might actually be the best thing about the movie overall. I was pleasantly surprised. I, I was too. I didn't think he had that level of dramatic range. And then I started thinking to myself, well, wait a minute. The movie is giving him the opportunity to display this level of uh, dynamic range. And I thought about this and I thought to myself, like, okay, Judd Apatow is working with cinematographer Robert Ellswet. He's shooting this movie, not like a glossy studio comedy film, like something like he did, like Funny People or even This Is 40. This movie feels raw. Like it feels like like an independent film, despite the fact that it has um, a, a probably a larger budget than most independent films do. There was something about it that felt very character driven to me and didn't feel like it was manufactured in a studio uh, by Universal. So I kind of appreciated that a lot. And the long runtime, while I admit the first act, it was definitely the bumpiest and it took its sweet ass time <laughs> in the very beginning to like get going with everything. Uh, to Dan's point, 
Yeah, by the end of this movie, I thought the runtime aided in kind of just the character development and really getting that 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 character arc of for Scott on board uh, for us as an audience. But like I said, though, it it's all it's all for nothing if you don't give a shit about Pete Davidson. Yeah, I, I I do think that that is the linchpin of this, of whether or not you are going to get into this movie. And But you have to admit, though, Josh, you have to admit that the movie does put in a lot of effort to, for that character arc. It puts in effort, but I also don't think it utilizes that work to the best of, of its ability as well. I think it still relies on a lot of Pete Davidson's natural charm, to bring to to have that being brought to the character to help aid in that character arc, and there was just something about it that just never really worked for me. I, I will say this though, that there is a moment in the film that probably is when he gets to the firehouse is when I did start to come around yeah. to it a little bit because that's when it does sort of like strip everything else away and it settles in on the very intimate set of characters and I was starting to get one over by it. You know what you know what I think the secret weapon is there? Mm. Steve Buscemi. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah I, was, I would say yeah. so. Small role, but my God, did he add so much gravitas to this. He nails that I one agree. big scene at the bar when he tells mm. the stories about uh, Scott's dad. And really, like, everything, once he gets to the firehouse, that's what I thought the movie was going to be. And it doesn't, like, what I thought the whole movie was going to be. And it he doesn't even make it there until the last, what, 45 minutes? Yeah. yeah. There's like an hour and a half. Like, I thought it was literally going to be like this guy walking kids to school and just like learning about life and how you can move forward. But again, we, you have like an hour and 30 minutes of movie before you get to that point yeah. in the movie. I was shocked. Yeah, one of my favorite things, like what I thought a scene that I felt like they should have continued is when the dad finally walks those kids to school. And like yeah. how Pete Davidson's character is like, okay, give your sister a hug and a kiss goodbye. Mm. Like, I really wanted to see see the impact he had on these kids. Like now every day before they leave, they hug and they kiss. And he, he asked like the little girl, why, why is your brother doing that now? And yeah. Like, well, so-and-so taught us that if we, we might not see each other every day, like there's like, you know, maybe being around these kids, he decided he was going to do something, but he just, he does not going to become a firefighter. He's still this slacker at the end of the movie who's got no talent and tattoo artists. I will say that, and I don't want to give spoilers away here, so I'm going to try and be very vague about this as well. The way that Judd Apatow chose to end the movie was another storytelling choice that signified to me that this was his most mature film yet because it didn't end the way that... I or maybe even anyone here might have expected it to end because it feels like there is another 10 minutes or so that they just decided, nope, going to change it right here. Why? Because we don't need to see all of this because we already know how this plays out. What's more important is that he's made the decision to put forth the effort. What, what, did, what did you guys think in regards to that? I agree with that. And I do appreciate um, Apatow, I guess, maturing and taking on this character study independent theme into the film but i will say i think he only scratches the surface him and davidson when it comes to this story and this character arc specifically like i wanted to see how the grief and trauma of being a family of a blue-blooded family member how that affects you and i didn't really get that we had some scenes where it just scratched the surface of how Scott has mm. been affected without his life, but we never really hit it. We never really get into the iceberg. And we always get so close, but then Davidson and Avatar will just go back and then go back to, you know, weed jokes. So that was my main issue because we would always get so close, in my opinion, but then we would never fully get there because I wanted to see how we get how someone is able to react to, you know, grief and trauma and then add on top of that the mental illness and not knowing how to form relationships because he's scared of it and we don't really get that those conversations or those scenes i feel like what we do get instead is we get a lot of scenes of him resisting confronting it not actually confronting it if that makes sense yeah i it was interesting i kind of agree with you lauren about that they don't really go as far as i think they could have or as much as i wanted them to um 
with that and the ending like i <laughs> i felt so of two minds about the ending like it felt it reminded me so much of ladybird's ending and oh yeah I mean, wow just about just about any movie mm. is going to suffer in comparison to that because it's so astutely judged but i i feel like it particularly appealed in comparison to that because ladybird does a lot of groundwork to get you to that point with this character where it's clear that yeah they you know, the next step is the next chapter of their life and you feel like they're ready for that next chapter. And I feel like there was so much of his, of the first chapter of Scott's story that we didn't really get. And it, I, I feel like a lot of the examination of what his father dying when Scott was so young, we only really do like scratch the surface in terms of what that did to him and like how he feels about it. I understand that like it sent him into a spiral of depression that has manifested itself as slackerdom, but like, but why? And why did he choose that route and all this stuff that I felt like was, was really interesting questions to ask and it didn't really go there. And so that ending didn't, it didn't feel as satisfying as I think it could have been. I feel like there are too many vignettes of like, I feel like the story needed another edit because I feel like there was just too much of like, okay, maybe he goes back, maybe he takes two steps forwards and then takes a step back. But I feel like we just kept taking steps back and steps back and steps back. Like every, there was just too many of them, especially later on in the film where I'm like, oh God. Yeah. I mean, that robbery scene comes to mind with yeah. his friends, oh, right? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, God. That, yeah. That, that went on for way too long. I would have cut it. I would have cut it. There's no point. We never see him like giving that cat fluffies or anything or, you know, following through. And and the thing is, is that it, it, the, the movie doesn't show unless I like fell asleep for a minute and missed it. It does like, he didn't miss someone going into the store. No. <laughs> like, what? so it, the whole thing is not his fault. And that felt very much like the movie, like piling on him in a way. It was one point like where I, I was really kind of vibing the naturalism of most of it. And that felt like a very deliberate choice where I felt the hand of the screenwriter and director. I agree. Moment. Yeah. yeah, I think it's the weakest scene in the movie uh, for me as well. Oh, I was just going to agree. I think that scene feels completely unnecessary, mostly because, as we've said, it feels like it contributes nothing to the overall narrative. It just seems like another conflict for him to get involved in, but it it doesn't connect to him like letting his friends down at all, or to a larger narrative about him not having a place to stay. Like I. I don't know what the purpose of that moment is, except to extend the runtime even more, which I was already having significant issues with <laughs> up until that point. Yeah, I, I, I get that. And I, I I don't know what it is. Maybe it's like the, the charm of Bill Burr and Pete Davidson's just th- their chemistry together. That fight scene is in the pool. So funny. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. It's so funny. And and so like. And so well acted from like from a dramatic standpoint. Well, that's what I mean. It's like I, I, I was genuinely surprised by the performances that all three of them and I, I lump Marissa Tomei in there, not surprisingly so as much as Bill Burr and Pete Davidson. But I lumped them all in there with Judd Apatow gave these actors some room to breathe and actually deliver some full fledged performances here. So, like, I agree with, with something that Amanda also said before. Uh, for a movie that's 136 minutes long, it's incredible that the movie still has, like, a ton of editing vignettes as well. <laughs> you know? And it's, like, it, it reminds me... Oh, my God. There's, like, a common joke that uh, we always make about Sons of Anarchy, me and my friend. Um, he always tells me all the time with that show and that television show in particular. He's like, Matt... They just had so much story they had to tell, which is not true at all. They stretched that shit out. Um, but like, that's what it feels like with um, Judd Apatow movies where it's like, oh, we have so much story to tell. We just have so much story to tell. And it's like, no, you really don't. Uh, you know, it's like it's a very thin story that you can tell in 90 minutes if you really wanted to. But this was like the rare occasion um, for me 
where because I've had this issue with Judd Apatow films before in the past, mostly with uh, funny people. I felt that the runtime did aid in the actors delivering the performances that they did without that runtime. I don't think that you get those performances. Um, yeah, I don't know if I would completely agree with that. I think yeah. the issue that I always have with Apatow and his runtimes is just, I always feel like they, as I said before, they aren't utilized correctly. Like that last 40 minutes, I wish was more of the movie. Like, I think that is the emotional heart of this film. And I actually would have liked if we had spent more time in that setting and more time with those group of characters. Cause I think it kind of just meanders and spins its wheels so much in that, those first 90 minutes that like it brings things up like with his sister, does that ever really get resolved no, in a satisfying no. way? Like, and no. we spent a lot of time at the college there and it just felt like they gave up on that and it doesn't really come back into the story later. And like, we didn't need that, but I would have loved more interactions with the stuff that I did like, which unfortunately is just all in the last 40 minutes of the film. It's a great excuse to have your daughter in a movie, though, isn't it? Well, yeah. I think it's a difference, yeah. like, in using her as a juxtaposition as, like, here's two kids, one who kind of remembers their dad, one who, you know, who died, who, you know, he died, he died before he could really form memories of him. And seeing how one kid is a little bit, for lack of a better word, more well-adjusted, mm-hmm. uh, able to cope, has a dream, going to college on top of it and then you have this just slacker who is moronic in some of his what he's doing uh so i do think she serves some form of a purpose i don't really think she does more than just like hey look here yeah. i am yeah, that's fine. fair she's I'm fine but the fact that there's a total side plot that isn't resolved is what's annoying for me when yeah. it comes to that plot hole because like uh, it's established in like the first couple of scenes that there is a big conflict between these two characters and then he goes to the college and then it gets deeper and then it gets and then it just stops yeah the screenplay then uh pivots over to uh bell polly's uh character and then wanting to resolve that uh subplot for scott because again the women do not have any agency of their own they are only here to push the male the white male protagonist we love being fridged. <laughs> what else do you expect from Judd Apatow at this point, Dan? I, I mean, I, <laughs> look, I, like I said, like I, it's hard for I, it's a little bit hard for me to hold that against him because really, what I, I certainly wouldn't want Judd Apatow of all people making a movie about people of color because I can only imagine what how much of a shit show that would be. Probably win Best Picture. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! It is about how they teach a white person how to not be racist. But no, he's a guy that stays in his lane. Yeah, he writes what he knows. Yeah, exactly. Like I can't. I can't. Out of his lane, he could win Best Picture. Yeah, (laughs) or a screenplay at least. (laughs) Yeah, I I can't really hold it against him. But what I do hold against him is the idea that, and it pains me because I really love the scenes in the firehouse, but the idea in this movie that well he just needed men around him and he needed a father figure and he would have been okay i mean i think it's more complex than that but slightly and that's them <laughs> scratching the surface again we don't yeah, get to exactly. see the entire family's yeah. effect on the grief like it's not just scott it's also the younger sister it's also the mom they also have they were also affected by this event as well. And I wanted to see, you know, this whole family realize, you know, each other's grief, each other's trauma. And the same with all the other firefighters who have family. It sh- I wanted to see a story about, you know, the blue blood life and how that affected each individual person. I know that isn't it, but if we just got a little bit deeper, just a little bit, we don't have to go full deep, but just a little bit to talk about, you know, the different walks of life and what it's like to be a firefighter or a family of firefighters or a family of protectors who are sacrificing themselves every day and how the toll that it takes on the family unit. I think that's an awesome conversation to have. 
they have that scene where he is like the um, Marissa Tomei, like, okay, okay, you want to have it out? You want to have this discussion? You want to do this? Let's do it. And she pushes him she out the door. The door. And That's face. fantastic. Like, Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> no. You- had an opportunity to have a like really really interesting discussion about oh come on i liked it it affects us and you brush it off for a joke no because he has to figure it out for himself he no one's gonna be able to get through to him he needs to go like he needs to do it himself admittedly it was a funny joke but i would rather have had that scene between the two of them and heard her side of this story because again it's just that scratching the surface and the scene that we eventually do get between the two of them is mm-hmm. just her saying like, yeah, your dad wasn't perfect. I agree. And I disagree. I feel like I kept waiting for like, even after the fight scene for her to go, I've been alone for so many years. You have no idea. The I feel like they had so many opportunities and I kept waiting for it because they have, you know, Marissa Tomei and yeah. say what you want, but she's been nominated for, she's won an Oscar. She's been nominated for two or three more. I kept waiting for the big, here we go scene, like to justify kind of like Catherine Keener and um, 40 year old version to justify her being in this picture. And I just, I'm like, Oh, you poor thing. Ah, geez. I, yeah. I I never got that feeling at all. Like even just a shot of her taking when she started decorating, like she changed decorations. There's gotta be that like emotional moment where she took down the shrine of her husband. Making room in her life for like you know other possibilities, she's taking care of herself. I think yeah, I think it's very possible in that instance then that they were uh, too focused on the character arc of Pete Davidson that the other character arcs of the other of the other people in this movie um, suffered and the development and their utilization, as you're all saying. I I, I could see that. I get it. I also think too that uh, something that maybe aided me in my viewing of this. I don't know if it's if it's the same for you for you guys or not, but I was heading into this expecting a full-blown comedy. I wasn't expecting the level of character work and drama that this movie presented to the point where I found myself saying, holy crap, like, I'm barely laughing. Like, I'm laughing. Yeah. There are some funny moments, but this is not, like, laugh out loud, knocked up or 40-year-old virgin status. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that to the extent that I surprised myself with how much I like this movie. I think that that is mostly why that I was expecting it more to be another one of Judd Apatow's man-child comedies. And it is about a man-child growing up, but it's much subtler and slower. And I, I, I just really hate this phrase, but it fits more mature than yeah. his other movies. And I think the resistance that I'm finding though, is that, to ha- I get that it's going for this more mature idea, but grafting that onto a 24-year-old played by Pete Davidson just doesn't fit that well for me. And I don't think it's an accident that the scenes in this movie that I find more effective are the ones with the older group of characters that I find myself more drawn to yeah. what Bill Burr's character is going through, this guy who has had... Uh, you know, he's not perfect, but he's trying to live up to this ideal, but he's a part of this other group that, you know, is has this kind of fraternity of brotherhood and they try to look out for each other and they're re- wrestling with their own kind of midlife uh, crises of their own. Like, I found all that so much more fascinating than this kind of trite and uh, pedestrian story that they were working with of this coming of age with this with this 20 something. I just never felt that was the more interesting parts of the movie. And he doesn't friend- have a career. Like that's the problem I have with this. Like at least the girl who who's his on again, off again. Yeah, Belle Powley. Yeah. Yeah. Who I did like. Goal. Yeah, she has a goal. Like he he's never gonna be a tattoo artist. Like let's be realistic here. I can't draw. Either. <laughs> so, but I still wouldn't put. Uh, oh my god! I mean, <laughs> he has no business tattooing anyone. Oh, his tattoos are awful. But his idea for Ruby Tattoos Days, as awful as that idea is in in theory, it's a hysterical, hysterical idea in a screenwriter's room uh, to just come up with that idea. It is totally a thing that would become a thing in Brooklyn. Like it it probably. <laughs> absolutely is. And on that level, I thought it was hysterical. But like, Bell, so 
Belle Powley is so good. And part of the reason that I got pissed off about this movie's mere existence is that she's so good in the first scene of this movie. I'm like, God damn it. Where is her movie? How mm-hmm. does Pete Davidson uh. get to fail upward? And she hasn't had a starring role since Diary of a Teenage Girl. Like, why isn't this movie called Queen of Staten Island and all about her character? Absolutely. Uh, nailed, <laughs> she nailed that accent 100%. She, I, I, she did. Yeah. Like, she's working on a movie with Queen of the Out outrageous New York accent, Marissa Tomei. Like, so first the accent oh, is not like, <laughs> I love Marissa Tomei. I, so. So I mean, the person that stole the movie, though, for me was Bill Burr. Um, because yeah. he good. just has mm-hmm. a natural uh, humor in regards to rage that, like, he has just amazing line delivery, timing, and the way that he expresses anger. I mean, that first scene when he comes to the door with his son, uh, Harold, right? Is that his name? Yeah, Harold. Yeah, and he's like, you tattooed my fucking kid! And he's like... Flipping out at Scott. Um, it's I, such a great intro scene. It's amazing. Yeah, such a great opening scene for that character. And I mean, like, honestly, like all throughout the movie, I just was like, every time Bill Burr came up on screen, I, I just felt like everything just got so electrified uh, because he is so both intense, but also real. He, he reminds me of like a more sophisticated, smarter Peter Griffin from Family Guy. I don't know. That might be a weird comparison, but I, I get it. I kind of get it. Yeah, <laughs> he, he's just that working guy, like just a guy, guy who maybe doesn't realize how much of an asshole, white privileged guy he is. Right. But he's just going about, and he doesn't have a you know real mean bone in his body. But he'll say the uh, you know awful misogynistic, sexist, racist jokes because they're funny to him, <laughs> like. I get that. You just described like every blue collar person in New York, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) I know, but like, and And he has New York. (laughs) Yeah, not just New York. He has that sort of everyman quality, though, that makes it a bit easier to like him, even when he's being kind of creepy and or mean. (laughs) And every joke they make about his mustache was gold. True. But I do feel like he he was a little overbearing in scenes, and I I get it. Like they've got to have a reason why he why you know Pete Davidson's character would want to push back against this guy dating his mom and everything. So, but for some reason, it's Barr's character that I think I was more more invested in as the movie went on with his character arc on him warming up to accepting all of those faults within himself and realizing what it is, and then warming up to. Marissa Tomei's character and Scott and his children and his ex-wife just to reinstate that, yes, he is a firefighter, but he also has a life and a family outside of that station. So I was really interested and invested in that story. So by the point at the end of the movie, I was more into that instead of Scott's story for some reason. I was really interested, too, in like the his ex-wife story stories about him and how perfectly it aligns with all those character beats that we've seen come before like it made everything make so much sense and by the end of the movie i was like well gee like how does he really feel about his kids yeah like he was very quick to pass those kids off on pete davidson and we don't really see him spend much time with them at all and near the end of the movie when he's finally walking his his kid to school again he's the kid's like i don't know what to do now because scott always walks me to school and it it, that was again and i wish that they had kind of gone into that more yeah scratching the surface But I do appreciate the stuff that is there with that character. And I think that Bill Burr manages to portray a real kind of subtlety to that character that you normally wouldn't expect with Bill Burr because you know his patented rage, (laughs) you know, hysteria, which he does so well. But he is also able to showcase this vulnerability of this guy who knows that he has faults but is also, like, smart enough to know how to compensate for them in certain ways and how he has to deal with them and others. And I really loved the way that he chose to portray that character. I think that he gives by far the best performance in the film. All right. Final thoughts time. Amanda, let's start with you. Any final thoughts on the last King of Scotland? I mean, the King of (laughs) Staten Island. Um, I think it was a good first draft that needed more work. Okay. Before the match got made. 
Fair enough. I, to- I, I mean, I totally get it. I mean, also when you consider how much improvisation goes into Judd Apatow films as well. Regardless, a joke can be improvised. A, a plot and storyline needs to be planned. And to that point, I think that that's the issue with the length of Judd Apatow's films. A lot of scenes really feel like they're being improv and the actors are finding the scene as they go. And that is what it's what makes the films feel longer than they are and like they are over long. But yeah. also conversely, I think in this movie, that's part of what lends gives the characters some actual weight. Yeah, exactly. That's how I feel too. Version, by example, was like long. I felt like it had a one specific story to tell and it told that story. Yeah. Maybe he only got it right once. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I think with Judd Apatow, I think mileage does vary. I've talked to people who uh, find, you know, my least favorite Judd Apatow films to be their favorite ones and for completely different reasons, too. So I. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that he's got a film in his filmography that somewhere in um, in there, uh, somebody will find something that they like, hopefully at some point. <laughs> Josh, final thoughts. Uh, I mean, I do think that the movie really isn't that great. I, I do have a lot of problems with it, but I will end on something positive, which is once again, uh, shouting out Belle Powley. I think that she is so good in this movie. The character is not that great, but I love her performance. And I also loved the scenes with uh, Pamela Adlon as um, She's as Ray's yes. ex-wife. I thought she was hysterical. Hysterical. And I love I love Pamela Adlon. I think she's like great and everything. But I also find it interesting that, again, it's a scene with an older person describing some, you know, complicated feelings that you have about your ex-partner in life. And I feel like that's, again, another older perspective that this movie has that shines so much brighter than when it's trying to graft that onto the younger character. So the things that I do like about this movie feel a bit at odds with kind of the central conflict of what's going on, I find. Okay. All right, Lauren. I I don't hate this movie. I do find good things about it. I also find things that I don't like about it. I agree with with um, what Josh said. I feel like if um, Judd Apatow takes on an older protagonist, we could have something really cool and really special, and something that we haven't seen from Judd Apatow. So I hope he does that in the future, Loki. But at the end of the day, I do think this does scratch the service level with everything, including Pete David's performance. We, it's good. There, I know he can go deeper, and I want to see him go deeper as his career goes on because I know it's there. And um, on a positive, I really love, again, as everyone said, um, there aren't that much ladies in it, but the girls are really funny. We already talked about them. A lot of them, but like Lane Copeland, who plays um, the aunt, is really funny. And Action Bronson yes. has a cameo, which I love. That cameo, my God. Which was amazing. I, I thought his cameo in The Irishman was great. This amazing. was. I mean, like, once again, it goes on too long, once again. Amazing. But when he's like, we got to get you to hospital. Nah, man, I'll be all right. He's like bleeding out. <laughs> I just need you to clean it, to spray it. No. I'm selling a thorn bush. <laughs> hey, can I borrow your license? We don't look like, oh, they don't care about that, man. <laughs> that was the funniest scene, and it had absolutely nothing to do with anything, and I loved it. It was really good. I, I, I got such a kick out of it. Um, I, do have a, I do have a note written down here, funniest scene in the movie. So there you go. Alrighty, Dan, final thoughts? Um... I feel like I've said everything I have to say. Um, I I really, I surprised myself by how much I ended up enjoying it. And I do think that this is probably the one Judd Apatow film where that improvisational style actually work, actually benefits the characters, even if it maybe doesn't serve the story as well as it could. Um and yeah, the um, Bill Burr for Best Supporting Actor train starts here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, who knows what the competition's going to be like? So yeah, why not? 
I tell you right now, the only competition he has, as far as I'm concerned, is Michael Stuhlbarg and Shirley. Uh, excuse me, Hugh Grant and the Gentleman. Hello. Okay, fine. Either is more likely to win than this. <laughs> it's true. And my final thought is, I I thought like the whole tattooing the kid thing was so stupid to the point that I just didn't believe it. I was like, there's no way you're this dumb. Like, there is no way anyone is this dumb. He's that dumb. (laughs) I I just, like, I was in shock, right? But then it leads into the Bill Burr introduction scene, which I liked. And then the tattoo thing is a reoccurring thing throughout the movie. And then there is this great sign of trust where Bill Burr allows him to tattoo something on him. The reveal of that (laughs) was both true to the character, sad, hysterical, but also there was, like, this kind of sweet loving aspect to it as well in the sense of yeah i'm not perfect but i still did this with care attention and thank you for trusting me to do it sort of thing i don't know i like it may send the wrong message to people but for me it worked (laughs) so i will say that heading into this review my grade was eight <laughs> it's now a seven. I'm sorry. You guys actually helped to point out some things that uh, I did not notice, but uh, given the examples that you guys uh, said, um, they make a lot more sense to me now, and I can readily uh, see them. So, yeah, I, I would I would drag this down to a seven out of ten. Amanda, what's your grade? Um. Oh God. I try to grade a movie on what it accomplishes, not grading it next to another film, but I'm going to give it a five. Okay. Stuck right in the middle. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Not leaning one way or another way, just... Leaning more towards, like, I, if I could, I'd give it, like, a 4.9, but I'm going to say five. Okay. Fair enough. Lauren? I'm going to give it a six. Okay. Dan? I am with you, Matt, at a seven. Josh? I am landing at a five out of ten. That was actually higher yeah. than I thought you were going to say. <laughs> Well, yeah, I know. It's not a horrible movie. I feel like we're bashing it, but it's not horrible. Like the and the moments that I did like in it, I did really appreciate it. Like we didn't really go into too much depth of like those forty minutes because it's towards the end of the movie. I don't want to give too much away, but there are some very like sweet, genuine moments that I do like. Uh, There's particularly like this one scene where. Pete Davidson is just in a fire truck going to a fire and it's just a close up on his face that is the best moment of acting in the entire movie and I thought it was well done. So there's mm-hmm. things in the movie that I think are good. It's just a lot of wasted potential that isn't there that's the most frustrating thing about it. And also too, one last thing as just a final shot out. I know I, I kind of already said this earlier, but um, Robert Ellswood made this movie look so damn good. <laughs> just want to just say. Mm, okay. I, I'm, I'm I, saying for a, for a comedy film like this. I think comedy, that, though, like. <laughs> I think that this is a good example that the look of a film is not determined by the cinematographer. It is determined by the director. Yes, I would agree with that. Okay. If you hadn't told me that it was Robert Ellswood doing the cinematography, I wouldn't have guessed in a million years. It's not his most sitcom looking film. I'll, I'll give you that. Well, that's what I mean. Like, look where he was with, like, Knocked Up and 40 Year Old Version and then compare that visually to this. No, there's improvements 100%. Yeah, yeah. That's, what, that's what that's all I'm saying. Once again, I'm not saying Judd Apatow is Martin Scorsese over here. <laughs> what I appreciate <laughs> is I appreciate when I look at uh, his trajectory throughout his career, his evolution of a filmmaker and as a storyteller. And I, like I said, I think this is his most mature film. Is it perfect? No. God, no. But damn, I admire that he's at least trying, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, mean, I, I agree with you. I think that, like, some of his films have looked like, you, you know, um, single camera sitcoms, special episodes. This one doesn't. This looks like a film. Yeah. Alrighty, so that'll do it here for uh, The King of Staten Island. I mean, Dan already mentioned the Bill Burr supporting actor train. Uh, I mean, listen... <laughs> Who the hell knows what's going on this we year? You want to put it? You want to put in your predictions right now? Go right ahead. There's still a lot more so movies I think months. to come this year. So many if Spike Lee loses Best Picture to this, he could get on stage and start screaming. <laughs> the I mean, he won't. Listen, listen. Let's be completely honest here, okay? This movie's uh, best chance, in all honesty, is a Pete Davidson comedy uh, at Best Actor nomination at the Golden Globes. Yeah. I think that's even pushing it. Yeah, but... But That's the best chance it has. 
We have no idea what the fuck's going on with Hollywood and the Oscars right now. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't see this getting a screenplay nomination. Oh, God, no. God, no. I think the Globes is the best place for it. And then all that's left is Bill Burr and Marissa Tomei in the supporting categories, and... Marissa Tomei's not happening. Right, exactly. So then the only thing that's left is, all right, let's just go to the the Globes, and I, I see this as... Like I said, I know Big Time Adolescence already came out like early this year, but I do see this as like the breakout role for Pete that will lead to other Hollywood movies, potentially, if that's the route he wants to go down. And in that regard, I could see it happening the same way for him, like it did for like Amy Schumer with Trainwreck, where she got that nomination, you know? I could see. I agree. Like, honestly, based on the depth of his work here, I could see him pulling a like robin williams and good morning vietnam style oscar nomination someday maybe i don't know i think he's so limited with all those tattoos personally but i i hate tattoos oh, it's fair but like and you know Lena can cover it up so can he. yeah we'll see <laughs> listen the guy's still young there's still lots of potential there but he's, he's not you know. angelina jolie where they're like yeah we'll cover it. let's spray her down like no yeah <laughs> he's still a baby at the end of the day. Yes, very much. He's 20, like, how many years old? He's not a baby. <laughs> no, it, but this film his, really did show a lot of potential for him, and it did scratch the surface, and there definitely is more if he's given a better screenplay, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, he helped write this, so I don't know how much you can absolve him. Well, yeah, I, I don't I don't know, because I wasn't a big fan of big-time adolescence either, so I feel like... Whether supporting or leading, I'm just not that into Pete Davidson as a performer. So it's it's going to take a lot for me to get one over, I, I have to say. See, the only thing I've ever seen him in before this was SNL. And the only time I've ever laughed at him was when he did that I Got Fired number with Adam Sandler and Chris Rock. That was pretty good. And they're like, wait, you haven't been fired yet? And you're like, no, all in good time, my friend. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, if you didn't have health issues, I feel like Lauren Michael would have cut you loose a while ago. Well, let's end on that note. Check out that video on YouTube uh, so that you can hear what Amanda's talking about there. Amanda, where can they find you on the internet? At Miss Amanda Spears on Twitter. Lauren? You guys can find me on the Twitter at Lauren Lamango. Dan Bear. You can find me on Twitter at Dancing Dan on Film. Josh Parham. And I'm on Twitter at JR Parham. And you can find me on Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of The King of Staten Island here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player FM, Acast, CastBox, also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Uh, Matt. Yeah. Uh, now, how annoyed were you when Machine Gun Kelly popped up? <sighs> okay. Uh, so, what? Who? First of all, I got to ask you a question, Josh. How did you know that? Oh, because you've mentioned before how much you hate Machine Gun Kelly. Oh, okay, okay. I just wanted to. Yeah. I, okay. And you've mentioned it enough so that now, whenever I see him in a movie, I just immediately think, "Man, I wonder how pissed Matt is right now." <laughs> <laughs> you just saw him. <laughs> <laughs>